You're listening to In Defense with Dr. R.G. Willard, a Christian apologetics podcast equipping you to give a defense for the hope that is in you and to speak truth in Jesus' name. On today's episode, Dr. Willard will discuss four common arguments that he hears against the Kalam cosmological argument and attempt to defend it from there. Welcome back to In Defense with me, Dr. R.G. Willard, a Christian apologetic podcast bringing you an appeal and defense of the Christian faith. We are in the last episode of this series of my favorite argument for God's existence, the Kalam cosmological argument. Last episode, we took a look at the nature and attributes of the first cause. If the Kalam is correct and we believe the conclusion, can we look through the arguments of the Kalam to determine what kind of thing the first cause of the universe would need to be? And from that, we took a look at the Christian, uh, the Christian scriptures to determine, is the believer reasonable to hold to a, a being like God, the creator of the universe, actually exists and creates the universe? Now, in this episode, the last one of the series, we are going to take a look at the four common questions I often hear when I discuss the Kalam cosmological argument. So I have four questions or comments that I have here, and I want to walk through the questions and then give my response that I typically give to these questions. So question one, the first question that I most often hear when I discuss the Kalam is the idea, if an actual infinite cannot exist, how does, how does this pertain to God? And the question goes like this, is God not infinite? But if an actual infinite cannot exist in the real world, how is God actually infinite? Now, I think this is a very, very good question. And believe it or not, it's probably the top three questions I often receive when discussing the Kalam cosmological argument. Because lots of times we hear this notion of God being infinite, whether on YouTube or on the, the, the pulpit, we hear this all of the time. And I think we have good reasons to think this notion of God being infinite. We see scripture point to this idea of God being everlasting the first, the beginning, having first, the last, the beginning, the end. Let me read you some of these uh, uh, scriptures for you. Revelations 22, 12 through 13. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay each one of you what he has done. I'm the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Psalms 92, before the mountains were brought forth or you ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting you are God. We see this idea of God always existing before the beginning, the end, alpha, the omega, all of these terms you find in scripture. And this brings people to understanding that God is this infinite being. Now, what's helpful in understanding this question is a very specific distinguishment. So I want to distinguish here between something that is infinite in quantity and something that is infinite in quality. The Kalam talks about discrete things being unable to reach this infinite limit of being gathered into uh, the set or this uh, a collection of having this infinite limit. But when I speak of God or when the philosophers speak of God, we don't talk of God being made up of an infinite amount of things. We talk of God having this infinite quality, this idea of having the greatest quality an individual could possibly have. Give me an example. Psalms 147.5. Mm-hmm. 
Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. The psalmist sees God's knowledge as being the highest quality of the ability to know that is logically possible for any being. To say God is infinite is not to say that he is made up of an infinite amount of things, just just that he has the highest logically possible qualitative levels of being could have. Question number two that I commonly hear, or objection that I hear, is that the Kalam commits what is called the fallacy of composition. The fallacy of composition. Now, let me explain to you what this is. First of all, a fallacy is, is a failure in reasoning. Somewhere along the line, through inductive or deductive or any other type of reasoning, something has, go, has gone wrong. This is a fallacy. Now, the composition fallacy states this, that if every part of something has a specific property, Therefore, the whole has that specific property. Because parts of something is true does not mean that it's true of the entire whole. Let me give you an example of this. There are this there's a story of an elephant and three blind men. And so the three blind men know there's this object that we know is an elephant in front of them. And they're told to go figure out what this thing actually is and, how, and describe it to us. So one of the blind men went to the tail and he grabbed the tail and goes, wait a minute. This thing seems uh, thin, hairy, and relatively soft, and therefore he concludes that the entire thing is thin, hairy, and relatively soft. The second blind man felt the trunk. He goes, no, no, no. This is leathery, rather long, and yeah, kind of thin. And so he concluded the entire elephant is this way. The third man was feeling the head. He goes, wow, this is huge. It seems rough. And so he concludes every part of the thing that we know as an elephant is big and rough. We see this when it comes to Christians, right? We have had, and I've discussed with people who have walked away from the faith due to one church or one situation in the church, and they seem to have conflated every church in Christianity to believe and do these things as well. This is what is meant by the fallacy of composition. And so this is the specific argument against the Kalam. And the Klams commits this fallacy in saying, because everything in the universe has a cause, therefore the entire universe has a cause. Now, I urge you guys to go back and listen to episode three and four, where we sort of discuss briefly the reasons why I believe these premises are true. So here's the problem. The Kalam doesn't commit this fallacy. It just doesn't assume that because Everything in the universe has a cause. The entire universe has a cause. It presents arguments why the universe itself has a cause. It shows this empirical evidence, the weird cost of reality, this infinite regress argument, the scientific data that we have through cosmology. It presents reasons why we ought to think the entire universe has a cause. And because it presents reasons, it does not commit this fallacy. Question number three, or objection number three to the Kalam cosmological argument. It states the Kalam argument fails because nothing ever begins to exist. Now that might seem strange, but let me state that again. The Kalam fails because nothing ever begins to exist. In fact, nothing truly begins to exist. We are just made up from the material that preceded us. 
we do not truly have experiences of something really coming into existence. Now, this is a weird and philosophical objection here, and I want to discuss it and give my response to it. So let me first tell you what I mean by begin to exist. I'm going to get real technical, and I'm going to get real sort of, here's what I mean by the technicality. Let me define to you what I mean by begin to exist. For any entity E at time T, E comes into being at T, if and only if E exists at T, T is the first time at which E exists, and there is no state of affairs in the actual world in which E exists timelessly. I know what you're thinking. What did you just say? Let me repeat that. I'm going to explain it real simple. For any entity T, I'm sorry, any entity E at time T, E comes into being at T if and only if one E exists at T. T is the first time at which E exists, and there is no state of affairs in the actual world in which E exists timelessly. Or put it simply put, if Ryan comes into existence at a certain time, and prior to that time, Ryan did not exist. Let me state it again. If I come into existence at a certain time, and there is a prior time at which I did not exist. Now, the problem with this objection that nothing ever truly begins to exist, it seems to confuse the thing with the stuff the thing is made of. The thing itself with the stuff the thing is made of. And if this objection is true, not only does it confuse this, but it would have a very strange conclusion that somehow I existed prior to my parents giving birth. If I really don't come into existence, I am just a gathering of prior material, then I actually existed before my parents gave birth to me. Or we can seriously ask the question, where was I during the Jurassic period? Ryan actually existed since the materials he was made up with exist. You see, some have gone into a view called muriological nihilism, where they don't think there are actual composite objects, that stuff is just made up of fundamental, fundamental particles, and everything else are these base fundamental particles arranged in a certain type way. Picture me, I am just fundamental particles arranged in what is called a Ryan-like way. This is what this view actually believes. I do not think this is any problem for the Kalam. In fact, it seems that we can just adjust the Kalam very slightly and still run all of the arguments. The arguments can still hold for the Kalam if you just reword the deductive argument. Instead of saying the universe began to exist, you can just say the fundamental particles began to exist. Therefore, the fundamental particles have a cause of its existence and you still run the same arguments. And you have to then ask the question, what is the kind of thing that would create the fundamental particles? And you still get the same nature slash attributes of the first cause. So that is my response to question three. And the last question I have for this podcast is this. Ryan, this really isn't an argument for God's existence. The word or concept of God doesn't appear anywhere in the argument. How is this helpful? Why is this your favorite argument for God's existence? Well, here's the thing. I think this is exactly the beauty of the argument. 
I think this is actually the, the it's wonderful that the argument doesn't assume or beg the question in any way. What it does, it just asks the question, did the universe begin to exist? If the universe came into existence, what is the kind of thing that the universe came into existence from? What is the kind of first cause that would have to be a thing, this kind of thing to create the entire universe? And I love this because it doesn't beg the question or assume much in the beginning. It just asks that simple question. And another reason why I love this argument, because it gives good reasons for the theist to think that God actually exists. Now, side note here, I do not think the Kalam argument is an argument for the Christian faith. You would have to bring in, say, the, the resurrection arguments, which we will touch on throughout the history of this podcast. But for this, it brings in arguments that the believer in God is reasonable and rational to think that a being like God actually exists. So when we go out into the world to proclaim that God exists, and he loves you, that we can have confidence in the fact that there is a being like this first cause, the Kalam points you to, actually exists, and it's a reasonable conclusion to believe in. We are not irrational. We are not crazy. The Christian believer has reason and a reasonable justification to think that God actually exists. This is why I love this argument. This argument does so much, I think, for the theist when it comes to belief and reasonable belief that a being like God actually exists. Well, that is our series on my favorite argument for God's existence, the Kalam cosmological argument. I'm excited to uh, see you guys next time because we have a whole other series for you. I'm calling it, what was that? And what I'm going to do in this series is I'm going to look at the top 10 misquoted or misused Bible verses, and I'm going to explain how I have heard them misquoted and misused, and I'm going to dive into Scripture and exegetically see what is happening in the context of Scripture so that we can pull out from it good understanding and use it appropriately in our everyday context. So if you have any questions or comments, feel free to email me at ryan at ryanwillard.org. That's W-I-L-L-E-R-T, Ryan at RyanWillard.org, or go visit the podcast page at RiverRadio.com. And if you would love to come, we would love for you to come alongside us and sponsor us or tithe, whatever you're willing to do, we would just be so grateful for that, to support this podcast and this station and everything that we are doing. I hope to see you guys next time for the series, What Was That? Have a good week. This podcast is a production of River Radio Ministries. You can find more podcasts like this one at riverradio.com. And if you like what you're hearing, make sure to subscribe wherever you're listening now. And be sure to tell a friend so they can listen too.